0: Hello, and welcome to the Four Elements of Healthcare podcast, the podcast where we explore healthcare as it relates to the patient's perspective. I'm your host, Vasant Kankuriam, internist, pediatrician, and mini-cupcake baker. Welcome to our fifth episode of Four Elements of Healthcare. Today's element of focus is engagement. As the lines between technology and healthcare begin to blur, we are seeing healthcare companies step out of the care delivery side to develop things such as electronic health records and other solutions, and technology companies beginning to think about healthcare as a service line offering. While the transition has been smooth in some cases, there still remain a lot of questions and challenges as that bridge develops, and many opportunities. Joining us today to discuss some of those challenges and future directions is Dr. Geetha Nair. So Dr. Nair is a practicing rheumatologist in Florida and has held many positions in her career, including being the chief medical information officer of AT&T and is currently the chief medical officer of Greenway Health. Most recently, she was named HIMS 2020's one of the top most influential women in health information technology she's also the host and creator of topline MDTV a digital medical news channel catering to South Florida
1: customers
0: well thank you Geetha, for joining us today
1: thanks for having me
0: awesome so let's let's talk a little bit about um, the electronic health record um, you know and for for so many people it's had a lot of benefits and also a lot of downsides and, and perhaps it hasn't quite been the panacea that a lot of folks had wanted. Um, and I, I come across so many misconceptions about the electronic health record and, and the current state of today's technology. And you know, it, it's often that patients say, hey, it should be in the computer. Can you help us understand a little bit about both the benefits as well as the limitations of the current state of electronic health records?
1: Sure. So, you know, I think the best example of this is when we think about how it was before the electronic health record, right? So before that, it was it was paper, right? And it was the paper in my office as Dr. Nayar versus the paper in your office as Dr. Concurum, right? So it's essentially, you know, we're only as good as what goes into the paper chart and we're only as good as what goes into the electronic health record. So I would love to look in the computer and see everything from womb to tomb on all my patients, but that's just not the reality, right? I only have the information either that they gave me or that they gave permission to someone else to give me. So if they see another cardiologist, rheumatologist, whoever they might see, unless they've gotten that record um, permission to be shared with me and or brought it in themselves, I actually don't have that in my computer, right? And it's the same way that we think about paper. It was the same way in the paper world. It's just for some reason, because we're in the digital world, there's this feeling by patients that, oh, it must be in the computer, you know? So it's it's kind of an interesting it's an interesting time.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and you know and it, it the funny part is that even that is evolving. You know, there you know a few years ago even accessing information from one electronic health record to another was, was very challenging and yet, you know, over time even that's become a lot easier where yeah, there, there are ways that we can actually communicate with each other and, and get information. Um, do you see that continuing to evolve? And, you know, with a lot of these health information exchanges, uh, to continue to be able to process and, and share information more smoothly?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's it's definitely, the, the future is definitely an interoperable world. It's a world where communication through, um, through systems, through regulations and or just the patient, right? I think we're also at a place where patients should understand that there's no one that can better shepherd their own data or better um, caretake their own data than themselves. So making the decision that your doctor has it is not a good one, right? Bring it with you. have a copy of all your radiology reports these are things that everyone should always um, have and not assume and again it can take a lot of the angst of the system out it can take the expense out right if you just did your labs last week and they happen to be the labs i was going to do this week why would i repeat those right i don't need to but if you bring them to me then i'm able to check the box and say okay that renal function looks good, liver function looks good. So now we can decide X, Y, or Z about your treatment. So I think that is something that's really important for us as consumers to, to also understand and not make the assumption.
0: Great. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what we're seeing, you know, as you mentioned, you know, technology evolving, you know, there, there's so many neat things happening. And, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm missing the really cool conference um, next month where uh, where you get to sort of uh, demo and sort of feel out some of these things. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I've been fascinated with is, you know, using a lot of these voice recognition um, uh, devices such as the Amazon Echo for care planning um, and and using wearable technology to, to communicate with your doctors so that they know real time what's happening. Um, one of the interesting predictions um, uh, in an article I had read in medical economics for this year was that we're going to see a lot more voice recognition, natural language processing, a lot of chat bots and looking at data and analyzing disease patterns um, with that data. Where do you see us going? um, You know, this year, where do you see us going in the next five years um, in terms of how technology is going to change the way we get care?
1: Sure. You know, my my Uber vision, I've been asked so many times, what is the best best EHR, the best PM system? And my answer is always that it should be invisible. Like, I want to practice medicine. You want to practice medicine. I want to see my patients. I want to touch my patients. I want to examine them. I want to practice of medicine and sort of have the EHR and the PM system be in the background. So to me, natural language natural language processing, voice recognition, AI, these are all elements that are going to help us get there. I don't think that that's going to happen in five years per se, but I think these are all steps to that more intuitive experience and one that's happening in the background while I'm busy practicing. To seeing, taking care of my patients, looking them in the eye, and in the background, you know, there is a dictation that's going on and pulling from, from um, my history, their history, and really putting together the note and the documentation and the billing for me because, really, that's the that's the stuff we also don't enjoy as physicians, right? Like the the fun stuff for us or the part that we're so passionate about is actually seeing patients. So these supportive, um, administrative functions should really be just that, and they should be in the background because that's not really what we wake up to in the morning and say, I can't wait to type in my EHR. I mean, I don't think that's your experience or mine, right? It's I want to see my patients. I'm I'm gonna treat someone today. I'm gonna you know impact someone's life, I'm gonna take care of their health. I mean, that's why we went to medical school. So I always say it should be in the background and moved out of the, the forefront.
0: It's funny you say that, you know, and one of the things that um, you know unlucky or lucky, you know, I've actually trained completely in a digital world, which is, which is fascinating. So right from, you know, when I was in medical school, when I started my clinical rotations is actually the year where they had switched over from the paper chart to the electronic chart. So, you know, one of the things I've realized, and I'd love to to sort of hear your take on it, is that, um, you know, we've had huge amounts of technology coming in over the past few years. um, And yet, you know, we're, a lot of us haven't been trained to use the technology, right? So it's there, and all of a sudden, this extra laptop or monitor, all of a sudden, becomes this barrier, as opposed to skill sets on how to use it. What thoughts do you have as to how, you know, both as patients um, and as, you know, physicians, how do we sort of make the relationship with this additional machine that's there, that's supposed to help us, yet many of us haven't learned how to have it help us?
1: I always try to take it away from the actual issue at hand, right? When the stethoscope came out, the MRI, the CT scanner, the Da Vinci robot, right? All of these were technologies that we were more than happy to use and more than happy to get trained on because we saw a vision for how they were helping us practice medicine or helping us with our day-to-day function as docs. And I think that's what's missing, right? I don't think we need to train docs on technology that they're not excited to use right we need to first create technologies that are actually helpful impactful moving the needle on care and then you're going to have the medical community chomping at the bit to learn about these things and how to use them and or figuring them out because they're so intuitively with very to little no training right so no one had to train me really how to use a stethoscope no one had to really train me how to figure out you know a ct scan there are some basic fundamentals you have to learn but after that it's it's a self fulfilling prophecy of what that technology can help you do to to practice medicine does that make sense i mean do you find that as well in in your yeah, sort you know, of it's a,
0: it, it's a it's a fascinating perspective because i think you know on one hand Um, You know, and actually, as I think about what you say, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, the technology really should be there, like you said, as an invisible piece of it, really not the focus, but as a way of facilitating what should be an organic experience. So rather than sort of adding this element to make an organic experience different um, is really facilitating what should be happening in a typical encounter anyway.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly spot on. And I think that again, if we, um, um, if we just take the technology out of it, or if we take the the healthcare technology out of it, and we think about just all the other historical technologies that have improved medicine. You you will find that we are love technology. We are like the give the latest and greatest robot, give us the greatest and latest uh, treatment paradigm for breast cancer, rheumatoid arthritis. We're, we're all over it.
0: Awesome. Well, let's talk about, you know, one of the things that you said really struck me, and, and it's really sort of focusing on um, relationships. And one of the biggest reasons I went into direct primary care was really to sort of, you know, once again, put the patient back in the center and really focus on building the relationship with the patients. Um, and as we look at the direction technology is taking, we see a lot of innovations on you know looking at primary care virtually. you know we saw the advent of um, more sort of quick urgent care visits through telehealth as well as virtual technology, and more and more we 're seeing long term relationship based um, uh, visits done uh, through telehealth and you know sort of part of me says, um, you know can you truly develop?" a relationship with someone completely virtually and and a part of me wants to say yes and then there's a part of me that says well there is something to be said about being in someone's space actually examining them um you know with the skin contact as we see this virtual primary care launching what do you think patients are looking for those who are choosing to join this virtual primary care modality um, and do you think it provides the same type of relationship that you might get in person?
1: You know, I'm a big fan of appropriate care at the appropriate time, and I think that the the promise of telemedicine is that you know we have so many people that are that are struggling with getting access to a doc, and it's things like getting access for a prescription, things like birth control, a refill, renewal, and often when those things don't happen instead, because people either can't get to the doctor because of their own challenges in their life, their schedule, transportation, insurance coverage, all of those things we know, um, what happens is they end up missing that prescription or that refill or that service, and then they end up in the ER or the urgent care, and they've now had an outcome that was so avoidable that was so preventable and it's um, I, I think that's the gap that telemedicine fills is that we're able to say look some of these things we can do in a virtual environment and and make an impact on care now, I think there's a time and a place for virtual medicine and medicine. Is really knowing the difference right it's it's hard to, to sort of do that triage before Determining because sometimes you know a, a patient will set up a schedule for a virtual vi- visit and it will end up being something that actually does need emergency treatment. So I think that's really the trick. That's really the trick.
0: And let's talk. You know, you you mentioned you know the right time, the right place, um, and a lot of times you know access is a huge barrier, and a lot of folks um, end up going to. Dr. Google to, to understand what, what their symptoms might be. Um, and one of the things I have found um, interesting when I when I talk to my patients is, what information out there is credible and what isn't? So from the lens of a patient, you know, how do you look at a website or how do you look at information out there to decide, is this coming from a credible source um, or is this not? Do you have any tips on that?
1: You know, I do. I actually direct a lot of my patients to sources that I find are trusted. And I love when patients read. It just, it's always that pain point of making sure they read the right stuff. So like for me in rheumatology, it's the Arthritis Foundation. It's the American College of Rheumatology. It's sources I trust. So I always say first, ask your, your doc, ask your physician, because I think they know their given field and sort of what's the good consumer data out there. Um, you know, Blogs from people that you don't know if they're truly a doctor, truly a healthcare professional, truly someone who has the knowledge or their credentials. Those are the things that I would stay away from. Um, You know, the neighbor's cat's dog said that, you know, ginger mixed with garlic. I mean, there's just so much, there's so much information. The trick is finding the the good information. So I, I always say, again, places like the Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, um, and just your own doc. I mean, your own doc sometimes has, you know, curated data on their websites, which are a great place to start because then you also know that doc is, um, is behind that information.
0: And, and you've got docs such as yourself um, who really share a lot of fantastic information on social media. So let's spend a few minutes on that. Do you think, you know, from looking at social media from a patient lens, is it helpful for their doctors to be engaged with them on social media?
1: You know, I think social media absolutely has a place, right? The, the truth is that we see patients for maybe eight to 10 minutes every three months, every six months, if we're lucky, right? So the, the opportunity we have with social media is to really, one, have a relationship with our patients outside of just those eight to 10 minutes in those four office walls. And then two, as a trusted source of information, I think that you know just public health awareness and getting that information out Address people's concerns about medical issues that are just um, that are just uh, on on everyone's mind. I mean, we know one of the top Google searches in the in the on the planet are are healthcare related. So I think to the extent we have trusted um, we've trusted sources out there, why not social media?
0: And and once again, as from the lens of a patient, as we talked about, you know, engaging with your practice on social media, you also mentioned. Um, you know, as a uh, physician practice to be able to put information out there as a patient's looking to create that relationship with a doctor um, and, and really trying to say well who 's out there on how are they maximizing you know technology to be able to help me?" What are some clues that patients can look for when they 're trying to choose a practice to find a doctor who um, is engaging with them um, to the max that they can using the technology and the social media um what what are some hints or clues that someone can look for when choosing a doctor if they want um someone who's sort of maximizing the potential of technology
1: sure you know i think the first thing to do is to ask right like what are the tools i have you know how you know forget tools just asking the question what do i do when your office is closed what do i do if i have a question how do i communicate with you um how do you do virtual visits is there any information or sort of reading that you recommend, that is trusted, that our family can read. I think just asking, and I think, you know, you as a, as a doc would say, Oh yeah, by the way, I have a blog or Hey, by the way, I'm on social media or Hey, by the way, I have a patient portal. So I think leading with the problem as opposed to asking for the tools is the way to go. Right. Cause some offices will say, well, just call our after hours answering service. Right. So that's really, I, I really think it's asking and you'll find that, that, physicians will be so excited that you asked. We'll be happy to have our patients actually pointed in the right direction.
0: Fantastic, awesome. Um, So as we wind down, if you had to sort of give our listeners, you know, 30 seconds of wisdom as to what, um, you know, what they can take away from listening to today's conversation, what would that be?
1: You know, I would say the first thing is, you know, your your body is a temple, right? And your your doctor in partnership with you is going to be that much more effective at being the caretaker of your body and your health. But ultimately, your health and your body is your, you're in the driver's seat, right? Your, your docs are just there to give you advice. I can only give you advice about your diet, your lifestyle, your medication regimen, how to access the healthcare system. But truly, it's important to be the driver of your own destiny, whoever your advisors are only in the backseat of the passenger seat, have your data, get access to your records, make copies, give them to your family, you know, be the caretaker and, and be the partner that is working with your doctor in the passenger seat to get you to whatever your health goals might be it's interesting you know some of the best outcomes i've had with patients are when they say my daughter's wedding is in six months or in a year or i'm going to become a grandparent in one year and i've got to lose x amount of weight or i've got to stop smoking because i'm going to be around the baby those engaged patients always do better they're always more receptive to any advice i might give They also ask more questions and help me understand their situation so I can give them advice that's really tailored to their situation, which generally makes them also more compliant and then effective. So it's really how to be a partner, you know, how to be a partner with your doctor. And of course, lastly, how do I communicate with you? What's the best tools that you and I can use to to chat and talk um, that go a long way? So I think I think all of those would really be the the place where I would say drive it home.
0: Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much, Geetha, for joining us today. And I think our listeners got a wealth of information, so appreciate you joining us again.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm um, so excited that you're doing this program.
0: And that's a wrap, folks. You can follow Dr. Geetha Nair on Twitter, and her Twitter handle is G-N-A-Y-Y-A-R. Signing off until our next episode, we hope you continue to join us as we revolutionize primary care
1: together.